Have you experienced convergence lately? As we've been talking about convergence, has it, has it been a thought in your mind you've experienced? I know a week ago Saturday night, I was a part of a, an experience of convergence as, what, 86,000 people from two universities, Tennessee and Oklahoma, fans gathered, some in orange, some in red, some in white, and when you, if you were in the stadium or watching by TV, you could see that, right? We converged on this spot for the purpose of watching a game. Have you become sensitive to this idea of convergence? I see Shay here on the front row. I, I got to converge with, gosh, 15 bands last night, yesterday at, uh, at the Moore High School. 15 bands from all around the state, from Kansas, came in and, and marched and played and, and had uh, their festival yesterday. It was literally a convergence of bands. Uh, and it was if, if you like that, that kind of stuff, it was a great day. And we enjoyed watching some of the bands uh, uh, share. Norman High was there. Norman North was there. It was a great day for convergence of bands. Have you seen, have you noticed convergence? Have you begun to consider the idea and the fact that, that we as a people, as a people of God, and particularly as the unique people of God called First Baptist Church of Norman, that, that we converge at this place. We converge as a people. Now, I've, I brought a stick here. We'll talk about it later. I'm afraid it'll roll off my table. But anyway, but we're going we're gonna to talk about convergence. What does it mean to converge as, as a church? You know, this idea of convergence is, is different parts and different people, different ideas and things coming together in one place for one purpose to become one. And, and as I've mentioned several times, a place is a, can be a key part of convergence. And certainly as we share and, and live our lives together, as we, as we experience faith together, this place, common ground, this place at, at First Baptist across the street is, is a special place in which we converge to share our lives together, to, to grow in our faith together. And over these weeks, as we've talked about convergence, we've considered it in a couple of different ways. We've talked about a convergence of purpose. Well, why is it that we converge here? Well, we converge here because of our common purpose, and that is to be a disciple of Christ. And part of being a disciple of Christ is that we're called and commissioned to make disciples. And so part of our ability to converge is that we converge out of a unity of purpose, and that is of being and making disciples. But we've also, and, and as a part of that, we've talked about converging in this place because of our devotion. Our devotion to Christ, our devotion to follow Him, our devotion to live our lives after Him, but also our, our devotion to each other. Our recognition that we cannot live our faith individually. That as the passages that Amen read earlier, that we are called to share our faith together in a body of faith, in a in the body of Christ. And there's certain strengths and there's certain reasons why that's so critical. So we converge to this place with a loyalty and a devotion, first of all to Christ, but also to one another. And as we continue to kind of peel the layers back of this idea of convergence, we talk about a convergence of imitation. And, and some would say, wait a minute, what, what does that mean? Well, the Scripture, the New Testament in particular, is, is filled with invitations, first of all, to imitate God. Paul says we're to imitate God. 
we're, we're to, to discover God has revealed himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us as creator God, as, as a God who loves, as a God who redeems, then we're to imitate God in, in that way. And that becomes the life that we would live. But we might say, well, that's kind of vague and nebulous, the, this idea of imitating God. Well, that's why he sent his son. So that God could be in the flesh. And so the New Testament is a beautiful story of Jesus coming to live among us, of God in the flesh. And so the scriptures, Paul says, we're to imitate Jesus. We're to, to be familiar with the gospel stories, to read the stories of how he, he interacted and how he brought love and grace and forgiveness into the lives of those that he met. And so we're to imitate Christ. and We're to converge as we talk about and discover how we can do that. And out of that, as we walk this journey together, we, we imitate each other. Now, Paul's very careful when he says to imitate me because he says to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and isn't that true? Don't we, we have, in all of our life, we see folks who are, are mature and they're further along the journey than we are, whether it be educationally, whether it be professionally, whether it be in a sport or a, a hobby or activity that we have, and especially in our faith journey. There are people who, who have progressed, who have matured, who've been on the journey longer than we have. And Paul would say, you know, if you need help, find someone who's mature in the faith, who's further along than you are, and imitate them. Not setting them up on a pedestal as someone who's perfect, but imitate them as they would try to follow after Christ. And then we also talked about how churches are to imitate each other. As we see churches living out the presence of Christ in their community, it ought to inspire us. And help us to ask these same questions. How can we live out the purposes of Christ like this other group of people are? So we want to talk about converging through a common purpose, through devotion, through imitating others. And today, I want us to look at a, a new way that we can talk about convergence. And again, it's, it's in this passage that, uh, that Amen wrote, read. But let's look at a similar passage in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul begins to talk about spiritual gifts. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one, to each person, to each one who's a follower of Christ, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, for the common good. Have you ever thought about your, your spiritual giftedness, your spiritual gift? How is it that God has uniquely gifted you and empowered you and enabled you to serve Him? Now, now, spiritual gifts go beyond just our natural talents and abilities. Although certainly God can, can use our natural talents and abilities to edify and to, to bring up the body. But, but we're uniquely talking about these spiritual gifts, the way in which the Spirit of God enters into our life and then manifests Himself uniquely through our lives, through our experience, through our natural gifts and talents. And isn't it fascinating that here in 1 Corinthians 12, in this verse 7, it says that each one of us has been given a gift, a, a manifestation of the Spirit of God. And, and that gift is, I, I love thinking about this, the gift is not, sometimes we get too detailed in the, in the minutia of what, what, well, what's your spiritual gift? The spiritual gift is the Spirit of God. It's the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Paul says in Ephesians that the Spirit of God is the down payment 
It is the guarantee that the gift of salvation is true and legitimate and authentic within us. It's the presence of the Spirit of God that comes into our lives that authenticates our conversion. It authenticates our salvation experience. And as the Spirit of God comes and lives within us, and as the Spirit of God begins to mature within us, He begins to manifest Himself through our lives in ways that I talked about. So what, what are your spiritual gifts and, and what is the way that you see the Spirit of God living and working through you for the common good? And, and the common good certainly, I think, has, has a universal aspect to that. But uniquely here in this passage, I think it's talking about within the body of Christ, within the church. So here's the question that, that we have to talk about today. What is your gift? What is your contribution to the people you're sitting next to? And the people that are across the street. What is your gift to the people? What is your contribution? What are you adding to the body of Christ here at First Baptist? I think that's what this, this passage is about in 1 Corinthians 12. It's what the passage is about in Romans 12.6. Now, now you can flip back to Romans 12.6 as Paul picks up this idea of convergence and of, I think, giving ourselves to the good of the body. Romans 12, 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, okay, that's that, again, the grace of God, the Spirit of God within us. Since we have gifts that differ, each of us is to exercise them. Exercise, maybe another word I like for today is practice. Each of us is to exercise or practice them accordingly. So today I want us to talk about this idea of converging. And one of the ways that we converge is by practicing together. Is by practicing our, our giftedness. Is by practicing what, what the Spirit of God has empowered us to do for the common good. And one of the ways that we converge as, as a family of faith is when each of us understand that we are all gifted in a unique way to strengthen and to build each other up. And so, how are you practicing this today? How are you exercising this today? Why do we practice? Why do we exercise? Well, we, we practice so we can win, right? I mean, we practice in, in sports, in, in band, in, in athletics. We practice so that we can we can win the competition so that we can run the race in a way that we're not disqualified and in a way that we can win. But, but even practice and exercise goes beyond sports and athletics. We practice our profession. We, we train, we equip ourselves, we educate ourselves so that we can learn about a vocation and, and a career and so that we can practice that so that we can become better and better at that each and every day. We practice or we exercise our, our bodies physically. We exercise so that we can be healthy. So that we can experience a quality of life that comes with a healthiness of life and of body. So why do we practice? Why do we exercise for these things? Now here's, here's my, sti my stick I want to share. We're going to pretend, okay, imagine just for a minute that this is not just a stick that you find in the three-year-old department at First Baptist. Imagine that this is a baton and that you have been competing and practicing all of your life 
to run in the 4 by 100 meter relay at the Olympics. And this is what stands between you and three of your fellow athletes to get the gold medal. And that is running your leg of the race and successfully handing this to the runner in front of you. Or, if you're the runner in front, taking it from the runner behind you. Here's the guy's name. His name is Craig Poole. He is the director and the head coach of USA Track and Field. He says this. He said this in 2012 before the Olympics, and we all know the Jamaicans also have a pretty salty relay team. But here's what he said before the Olympics in 2012. He said, in eight of the last world championships, which includes the Olympics, well, what, what he said, first of all, he said, there is no, and there are, referring to the men and women, there are no relay teams in the world that run the 4 by 100 meter race better than the USA. There's nobody in the world that does it better than we are. Yet, over the last eight years, from 2011 and back, out of which would be 16 competitions, the United States won, let me count them up here, won five gold medals out of 16 races and one silver out of 16 races. He says, we're the best in the world at the 4 by 100 And over 16 years of world championships in the men and women's heats, we only won six medals. But when we won, we won five golds and a silver. That's pretty good. But listen to the results. Starting in 2011, the men disqualified. Gold, silver, did not finish. Gold, did not finish. Disqualified, did not finish. The women, 2011, disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. Gold, gold, did not finish, did not finish. Gold. Right here. If in the prelims or in the finals, you drop this, you're disqualified. There's, and I'm going way out of my knowledge zone here, so if you have any track people here, I'm sorry. My understanding is that there's a passing zone. And if you don't exchange the baton within that passing zone, you're disqualified. I think if you drop the baton, it's an officially do not finish. But if you, if you pass outside of the passing zone, it's disqualified. So we've got 10 out of 16 races, our men's and women's relay teams, the fastest people in the world, disqualified or did not finish because they either dropped this off, they dropped it, or they weren't able to, to pass it in the proper, proper time. Here's what Poole said after, after this acknowledgement. He said, for relays to run well, it takes time, and it takes many repetitions. Translation, it takes practice. And he said, what happens is you get to these international meets like the Olympics, and you get the four fastest men or the four fastest women, and they've never practiced together, and you go out and you try to practice a few times and hand off this baton, and what happens then is in the, in, in the competition of the race, and the nerves and the anxiety and the adrenaline rush of the race, guess what? You forget this. He says, we're not practicing enough. And what a great lesson, what great instruction for all of us. You see, to run in the 100 meter relay race well, 
you have to practice. You have to practice with the technique and handing off the baton. To live life well, you have to practice. To be a church and a community of faith, you have to practice. To be a person of faith, you have to practice. As a church, we converge, we come to this place to practice, if you would, passing the baton to one another. Why? Because in order to be good, in order to be the people that God calls us to be, we have to practice. Church, in so many ways, is a body. It's, it's a relay. It's spending time together. Practice results in convergence. When we come together to practice, it creates a synergy and an ability for us to converge in deeper ways. If you would, let's talk about what are some of the, the, the things that are created when we practice and when we converge together. You see, I think as we practice, as we converge together and practice, it reveals a shared vision and a shared goals. It, it proclaims and announces who we are or where we want to go. Why do we come together? Well, it's to be the people of God. Why do the, why do the guys on the OU football team come together? Well, they want to win a, a Big 12 title and a national championship. So they converge and they practice. And they talk about their goals and their vision as a team. And then they move towards that. Same thing with, with the church, with any people. We must come together and acknowledge and talk about our shared vision and our shared goals of what it means to be this people. You see... Our mission statement is not a statement just of, of what we do, although it certainly is what we do, but rather, more importantly, our mission statement is a proclamation of who we are and who we are becoming. So when we talk about loving people, teaching the word, and living the journey, we're not just saying this is what we do, but this is who we are, and what we do comes out of who we are. So, if we want to be a church that loves people, then guess what? We need to practice loving people. And it starts here. If we want to be a church that teaches God's Word, then we need to be a church that practices teaching it with each other and with those that we have the opportunity to. If we want to be a church that lives the journey of faith and of Christ faithfully, we must practice and share our lives together. If we want to be a generational church, then guess what? We must practice this as we converge in this place. And if we'll, if we'll talk about and if we'll identify our shared goals and our vision, then guess what? This will lead to a practice that will encourage us and stimulate us and allow us to grow and mature because practice stimulates growth. Practice makes perfect. The immature are the ones who are disqualified. And follow me, the immature are the ones that don't practice, and so when they get in the race, they what? They drop. Because to be mature means to be practiced. It means to be accomplished. It means to be complete. It means to be perfect. And so as we practice, a, a, a sign of our maturity is that we're able to pass the baton successfully. Or we're able to hand it off in that zone successfully. And what happens is when we don't do that, it demonstrates an immaturity on our, on our part. Yeah, we passed the baton, but it was 10 yards past the zone. That's immaturity. And so as we, as we practice together, we grow and we mature together. Larry Crabb said this, an author, a, a writer, Christian man. He talks about 
how as Christians we're called to release the power of God through our lives. I think that's another way of saying we're to acknowledge that the Spirit of God lives within us. And the Spirit of God manifests Himself through us. Exactly what Paul was talking about to the Corinthians and to the Romans. But then follow up on what, what does this mean? Crabbe says, this means that we release what is strong and alive within us in a way that stimulates what is good in each other. So as we grow, as we practice, we begin to understand what is good and strong within us. And as we practice that, as we understand that, as we connect and relate with each other in that, guess what? It spurs you on. It spurs me on to grow in deeper ways. You see, we need each other. And that's what it means in practicing together, in converging to this place to practice as one. It means releasing the power of God in our lives to encourage and to stimulate one another to become the people that God has called us to. So how are you doing today? How are you doing at releasing the power of God in your life into the lives of others? That's a, that's a, that's a significant question. How are we doing as a church? How, how are our youth doing in releasing the power of God in, in their community into the community, the broader community of the church? How are our adult Sunday school classes and community groups, how are they doing at releasing the power of God within them as they communicate, as they, as they connect, as they fellowship, as they study, as they serve together, in releasing that power not just among themselves, but among the broader church of Christ here to stimulate and encourage each other? You see, practicing together leads to growth among each other. But you see, practice also deepens our community. When we practice together, we get to know each other better and at deeper levels. Community deepens when we serve together, when we study together, when we fellowship together, when we worship together, when we go into this world together. Some of the, 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 most, the, the deepest and most intimate relationships that we share with each other are when we go from this place and we serve together. It, it deepens our relationships and our community with each other. We go on mission trips together. We experience community and fellowship with each other in ways that we don't when we're not. When we go to Falls Creek or retreats together, we experience Christ together in ways that we don't when we just come on the weekends. We are called to deepen community and to practice community. The dinner eights, and several of you have already participated in some of the dinner eight fellowships. Again, it's a way to deepen community and fellowship with each other in relationship with one another. But notice that within community that there's always adversity that comes around. Whenever there's more than one, I was going to say more than two people, I, I, you know, when there's just me, there's conflict, right? There's, there's tension, right? But whenever you put people together, there's always adversity. There's always the possibility for tension. You see, life is not always easy. And so practice and practicing together must anticipate adversity. We will all face adversity in our lives, in our work, in our families, and even in our church. As we practice our faith together, though, we prepare for that which will come against us in the future. Now, I confess I, I watched the game yesterday. Probably not many of you did. I watched the game last night. Can you imagine the, the adversity that these 18 to 22-year-old guys face 
when they go into a stadium with 80,000 people that are yelling at them and screaming at them, and, and when they make a mistake and, and, and the crowd goes crazy, imagine the adversity that, that comes on them. But guess what? If, if they're going to win, they've got to they've fight through and work through that adversity. And so they practice adverse situations. They practice, we'll get the big Texas game coming up. They'll, they'll play whatever that song is that they play when you go to the Cotton Bowl. They'll play that over and over and over again, right? Because it creates adversity. But church, we, we, we've got a choice when we face adversity. Adversity can destroy us. It can weaken us. But guess what? Adversity can strengthen us too. Adversity can bring us together. Adversity can deepen our community. But guess what? We need to practice that. We need to, to be aware that adversity is before us. Again, Larry Crabb writes this. To become Christians, we die with Christ. To me, that seems like the first step of adversity, isn't it? It's to acknowledge and to recognize that, that I need to die to myself, that, that I can't be Lord and Master of my own life, that because of sin in my life, I, I need something greater than I am, so I need to die to myself. That, that's, that's a huge struggle and conflict of the will. That's the first step of adversity, but we die to our, ourself. And then he goes on, but he says, and to grow as Christians, then we must die to the flesh repeatedly, daily, until we're home. So we die to the flesh daily. We die to our selfishness daily. Well, how do we do that? We, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves daily. And that creates tensions. Paul says it in another way. He says we consider others as more important than ourselves. Well, that creates tension in my life. Because that's not the way the flesh wants me to act. And so there's this adversity that I'm constantly dealing with. In dying to myself, in dying to the flesh, as I seek to live out loving my neighbor as I love myself. You see, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, we discover that in dying to ourself and to our flesh, we find strength, we find courage, we find victory and meaning in life. And what we discover is that there's no greater joy than practicing and overcoming these things with others, with the body of Christ in our life. As a church, God is calling us to converge in new and deepening ways. He is calling us to release the power of God in our lives, to stimulate and to encourage what is good in those around us. As you're aware, we're going to join together for lunch and church conference here in a few minutes. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to, as a church, we're going to have the opportunity to call Kirk Hatcher to be our, our minister of spiritual formation upon Jim's retirement. Part of the vision that, that Kirk is helping us to understand and discover is exactly what we're talking about, how we can begin to practice converging together as a, as a family of faith to love each other, to fellowship with each other, to study together, to serve together, to interact with each other. Why? So that our community can deepen. Why? So that our witness in our ministry will be more effective as a people of God. Of course, you're aware that we'll come to this place of, of voting on the recommendation that strategic planning has 
is bringing. The idea, the possibility of developing early and late services that will allow us to practice convergence in worship. You see, these are significant decisions for our church. Everyone's voice is important and necessary for us to move forward as a church. You see, First Baptist Church is a unique church because we desire to be a generational church. We understand that the greatest opportunities for spiritual formation and for spiritual growth is when we come together across the generations to share our life and our faith together. Younger folks, we need the older generations to share how God was faithful as they journeyed through life, as they went through the hard circumstances that we're going through. We need their testimony. We need their faith example. And the older generations, you need the younger generations. You need their energy, their zeal, their enthusiasm and idealism for life. Because why? Because life hardens us as we go through. And we forget that once we were like that. And we need to develop and discover new ways to converge and to practice that as a family of faith. You see, I picture church as a relay team. Now, my, my analogy breaks down if we just think about the race. So let's not think about the race. The analogy works if we think about practice. If we think about what does it take to practice together, to form a team in which we're handing the baton from generation to generation in an ongoing circle around a track. Each generation taking the baton and grabbing it to the other generation. But you know what? Here's what I like. I like the idea of that moment when we grab the baton together. Because you see, in that moment in which we share the baton, guess what? We have opportunity at that point to engage and to interact with each other. We have opportunity at that point to share our stories and to tell of our faith together with each other. If we could just realize that we need to grab on as we pass this, the, 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 the baton to each generation over and over again and to practice that, practice the younger folks handing the baton to the older generation, the older generations handing the baton to the younger generations, practicing that so that we can mature and be complete as a family of faith as God has called us. May God continue to stir this idea, this vision within our lives that we would converge as a people of God committed to His purposes in this place. Let's pray.